Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2005. Better buckle up because today we're taking a few laps with Paul Tracy. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in beautiful, sunny Scottsdale, Arizona, with a very special guest by the name of Paul Tracy. Paul, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am. It's been been too long. I've been waiting to get on your show forever. <laughs> well, very nice of you, my friend. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, and we're going to dive into your world, what's one little thing that maybe most people don't know about you? Uh, I, I don't think people would know that I'm a, I'm a, a small dog lover. A small I, I dog people, lover. People, okay. people would probably think that I have some big Rottweiler or German Shepherd, but I, I actually have two little malt, white Maltese dogs that are teacups and they, uh, they love me. <laughs> of course. All dogs love their owners, but you know, I think you're right. I would, I'd picture you with a pit bull or yeah, a Rottweiler or some kind of bulldog or some kind of big beefy thing. Uh, we have two girls and it's Coco and Boo. Uh, <laughs> Boo we got on Halloween and she was white. So we named her after like a ghost, Boo. Love it. And Coco is for, you know, Coco Chanel and uh, they're both girls and one is three pounds and the other one's four pounds. They're just little little tiny dogs. Well, you're right. I think most people wouldn't expect that. So we're off to a great start today. We're going to have some fun. So let me give you a brief introduction. We're going to dive into what you're up to. Paul Tracy has had a fascination with cars and racing since boyhood. And he raced go-karts until he was 16 years old. He was the youngest ever Canadian Formula Ford champion and the winner of the final Can-Am Race Series at the young age of 17. He set the record for wins in the 1990 American Racing Series Championship. Paul raced in IndyCar and kart for teams including Penske Racing, Newman Haas Racing, Players Forsyth Team, and Team Cool Green. Paul's raced in the Indy 500. He's run in NASCAR, Bush Series, Grand Am Rolex Series, 24 Hours of Daytona, the Camping World Truck Series, and Stadium Super Trucks. He's also dabbled as a professional downhill mountain bike racer and he's been a color commentator on nbc's indy car coverage we'll be back in just a moment but first a word from our beloved sponsor so give him a little listen and we'll be right back with the great paul tracy my friends at covercraft offer you 10 different options that's right 10 for your vehicle's protection you can choose from weather shield hp hd sunbrella ultratect reflect form fit custom view shield and their newest five-layer all-climate cover, three-layer moderate climate cover, and a five-layer indoor option. You have all sorts of ways to protect your car. All of these are custom tailored by Covercraft's talented craftspeople. It's the form and fit with the quality to attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Surface protection is the best way to preserve the investment you've made in your vehicles. It's what I do. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. I have a Covercraft cover for every one of my vehicles, and I've got a deal for you. If you use the code YEAH21, Y-E-A-H-21, at Covercraft.com, they'll give you 10% off your order, plus you get free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Just use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. 
I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day, and he asked me about American Collectors Insurance. He said, while I listen to you on Cars Yeah, you're always talking about agreed value collector car insurance. Well, I insure all my cars on my regular auto insurance policy, and I've done it for years. Why use a different company for my collector cars? I get a multi-car discount. Isn't that good enough? I suggested he call his carrier and ask how much he would get if his collector car was totaled are stolen. He called back and said, boy, that was a scary conversation. Their value of my car wasn't even close to what it's really worth. Thank you for the education, Mark. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you receive with an agreed value policy. American Collectors Insurance has been protecting enthusiasts since 1976. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 866- 224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green's at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. They're the ones that insure my car. That's American Collectors Insurance. So, Paul, uh, we are back. So I'd love to dive a little deeper into what you're up to these days. But first, I'm going to go back in time a little bit because most of our listeners are going to remember you from your racing days. Now, you've been retired from racing for how many years now? Uh, I retired after Dan Weldon's death. So that would have been 2011 is when uh, that accident happened in Vegas. It wasn't that I wanted to retire, but I was kind of forced into it by my wife at the time and my parents and you know, I was getting towards the end of my career. I was 41 at the time and I wasn't driving for, you know, top level teams anymore and kind of struggling around in the middle of the pack. And, and, uh, that was a a horrific crash and I was right in the middle of all of it. And it just wasn't, wasn't a fun situation. And I was kind of like, you know, everybody says, why don't you stop? You know, you just, you, you know, you, made all the money you need to have and you've won a championship and you've won every race you've ever wanted to win. And what do you, you know, you're out here, you know, and you're running around in the middle of the pack. It's, you don't, you don't need to. And I reluctantly, reluctantly did, but I wasn't a very happy person to be around, you know, so I was just miserable and uh, frustrated with how my career ended. And, you know, really, it really actually cost me, cost me my marriage to my wife because I, I was an unbearable person to be around for, yeah. for, for quite a while. And, and she, she got fed up with it and, and, uh, and left. And, and then the TV, the TV deal came along for me and that kind of got me back to, to the racetrack and, uh, kept me occupied. Well, no doubt. And, you know, there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on here about you. Your friends know you as PT, and some know you as the thrill from West Hill. Where did that come from? Uh, you know what? I think I, it, somebody coined that to me, and I believe it might have, I believe it might have been Derek Daly that, that <laughs> did it. Yeah. So it just kind of came about, you know, I'm, I fr- I'm from an area of Toronto called West Hill is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. You know that's where my parents still live uh, to this day. So I think I think Derek's just said it on TV one day about probably twenty twenty three years ago, and it just kind of stuck. Kind of stuck with you, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of Derek, he once asked on TV, "Is Paul Tracy a rock star or a rock ape?" What was that all about? Well, 
and I have known each other since, you know, before, way, way before I was an, an IndyCar driver. Obviously, I was in Indy Lights before that and had raced in Europe and England. And I believe I raced against his brother at one time. And my dad is Irish. Uh, he's obviously Irish. So my dad, you know, all the Irish guys all seem to know each other somehow. So yeah. um, we just had this, uh, We my, my dad had a connection with, with Derek and we've just known each other, you know, what you know a long long time so yeah yeah he's a he's a fun guy he's a past guest here on cars yeah he was a great talk you know one of the things we look back at your career a lot of people kind of think of you as the bad boy you were very outspoken you said what was on your mind which i think was rather refreshing of course these days everybody has to be a bit woke and careful and not step out of line and that yeah that ends up creating situations where you don't really know who the person is. Have you always been that way? Have you always just been outspoken and said, this is what I think? No, I was very, very shy and very quiet and very reserved when I was a kid racing go-karts. My, it was my dad who was the guy who was outspoken and got into conflict with people. And, you know, my dad always told me once when, when we started racing, he said, listen, if you can't win, then make sure when we leave the track, everybody's talking about you and not the winner. (laughs) So we've always just kind of raced, you know, I've always raced really hard and really aggressive and, and, uh, you know, that's kind of been the the way I've driven my, my whole career. Now, as I got older, as much as I disliked (laughs) how, you know, loud and boisterous and my dad was, I've kind of like reluctantly morphed into (laughs) <laughs> what you didn't like, right? We do so, that sometimes with our parents. Yeah, we do that. So, you know, I just realized as my career went on that, you know, this is also, you know, this is also entertainment for people. Right. You know, you, you want to go out, you want to win races, you want to do the best you can and all that. But you've, to survive a career, to, to, to have a career, you've got to have something more than just results on track, I believe. And it's, it, there's lots of great drivers and the one, you know, those guys are, you know, can do it on just on track activity. But, mm-hmm. um, if you're going to survive through the rough patches, when things aren't going well, the people have got it. You've got to have a big fan base. I believe and I've been able to not only have a big fan base, but also a lot of people that dislike me as well. I'm a fairly polarizing figure. Well, kind of like, um, I think, uh, akin to a little bit of like a McEnroe in tennis, you know, people loved or disliked, McEnroe, but everybody knew who he was. And even if you didn't like his behavior, you still listened. Yeah. Well, I believe that rivalries are what make racing, you know, great. And uh, I believe, you know, and I think right now what lacks in motorsports now is, is there's, I just don't see a lot of rivalries. Everybody's buddies with each other and everybody is, you know, patting each other on the back and there's no great rivalries anymore with, uh, with anybody. Like when I started my career immediately right off the bat, I, I got into conflict with Al Jr. He was mad at me uh, for cutting him off at the Michigan 500. I was, I was battling Scott Goodyear for the win and he, he got in the mix on a restart and he was a lap down to us and he was trying to pass me and I moved over on him to block him. And he, he came down after the race and grabbed me by the neck. Really? And, yeah. And said uh, very sharp, sharp words and i know your your show is pc so i'm not gonna swear <laughs> but he had a few choice words for me and said you don't do that you're gonna kill somebody and so immediately i was in conflict with you know him and yeah. 
Michael and, you know, the guy, if I'm completely honest with you, the guys that I got in conflict with the most were the ones that I was most intimidated by. Uh-huh. And, the, you know, the only way that I knew that I could, you know, beat them is, or, is, was to get in their head and make them think that I was crazy or something. <laughs> Not that they didn't want to race me. Yeah. So, well, you know, the guys that I, the guys that I ran really hard with really wheel to wheel with were Al and Michael and Zanardi and, uh, later, you know, obviously the, the, the battle between myself and Sebastian Bourdais has been well chronicled. We oh, didn't yeah. get along at all. Yeah. Well, you know, you raced for some of the greats, and one of them, of course, is Penske. And I know that at one point he let you go, but then he tried to rehire you after you went to Newman Haas. What's the story behind that? Well, the real, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of people say, oh, I got fired and was let go. Well, the, the real situation there was is that, uh, that we had the three-car team, Penske with the Marlboro cars, and the tobacco laws were really tightening up. And Roger was going to cut back to to a two car team, mm-hmm. and I was still under contract. I had two more years on my contract, and uh, he he wanted to move me to Bettenhausen Racing for a couple years until Emerson retired. And there was a uh, a clause in my contract that basically said that he couldn't do that without us okaying it. And I really, at that time, wasn't getting paid a lot of money from Penske. I had signed a five-year contract with him. And the first year of my contract, I got paid $25,000. And the second year, I got $50,000. And then the third year, I was making $75,000. So I was into the third year. And I'd I'd won five races in my third year and finished third in the championship. Now, he comes to my dad, who was my manager at the time, and says, I'm going to you know, move Paul over to Bettenhausen racing and, you know, you're going to run there till Emerson retires and then, and then come back. And well, there was, you know, we, we had asked for a raise at one point because they'd signed Al Jr. to a contract and he was making, you know, $4 million Ooh. and I was getting, I was getting paid 75. <laughs> That's a bit of a slap so, in the face. You know, isn't it? And I, I'd won five races and, and we asked for a raise and he said, no, you signed the contract. Yeah. So, when he asked us to move to a different team, uh, we, my dad read through the contract and there was a clause in the contract that said that he couldn't assign me to another team without us approving it. Ah. And my dad said, well, we're not doing that. And he goes, well, he said, well, what do you mean? You're not doing that. <laughs> and he, he said, well, there's the clause in the contract. Yeah, you signed the contract. Said, you signed the contract. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I had an offer to, to go to F1, uh, in 94, um, I went and did a test with Benetton and had a really good test. And then uh, I also had this really good offer from to drive for Newman Haas. And I decided not to go into F1 and, and uh, pursue trying to win a championship in IndyCar first. And the offer from Newman Haas was, was to, to pay me like a million five. So I go. did that. Yeah. And I was there one year. We signed a one-year contract. And uh, about halfway through that year, in 95, I, I won a couple races. And uh, Roger came to me after they didn't qualify at Indianapolis. He, he, he saw me in the pit lane somewhere and he said, uh, I want you to come back to the team next year. Um, come meet me in Detroit at my office after the, after the next race. I think the next race was Milwaukee after, after the Indy 500. And I actually won at Milwaukee. 
the weekend after the Indy 500. And I went to Detroit and met with Roger and he signed me to, to a, another three-year contract to come back. And then Emerson actually moved from Team Penske to Bettenhausen, which t- turned into Hogan Racing. Oh, in yeah. the last couple of years of his contract, they moved Emerson into the secondary team. So I'm guessing that re-sign was a good deal? Yes. Well, I went in and he said, okay, I want you to come back. And, and, and I actually didn't take my dad as my manager this time. I met, met with Roger alone. And he goes, what do you want to get paid? I said, I just want to be treated the same as everybody else. So I was signed to the same contract that Emerson and, and Al were getting salary-wise. So it's actually a good deal for me. That's a little bit of a raise. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit of a raise, but I got I got fired after two years out of the, out of the three. So <laughs> I didn't get all of it. Well, that's racing, as they say. That the, the second time around, I got is when I got fired. Actually, fired. The actual, yeah. What led to that? Uh, I was uh, the '96 seven car was was a good car. Uh, it was a fast car on ovals. Uh, I won three races in '97 on on uh, on the ovals in the, the beginning of the season. I was leading the championship, and um, but on road courses, it was just really difficult to drive. It was very hard to get set up and get it in the window. And, uh, late in the season, we, we went and did a test in a, at a track in Michigan and, uh, we ran for three days with the Penske car and just throwing tires at it, you know, new tires at almost every run, testing tires and trying to get speed out of the car. And on the third day, a truck and trailer came into the, into the paddock and it was one of Penske's trucks and, you know, in the morning, and then they roll out this brand new Reynard oh. out of the truck that they borrowed from from Bobby Rahal, and it had a Mercedes motor, so it's had the same motor that we had. And uh, at lunch, they said, "Okay, you're gonna drive this car in the afternoon." And we did lunch, make a seat, get in it, pour the seat with foam, just old school yeah. kind of seat. Yeah. And I got in the car after lunch and went out, and you know, in in and out, in and out lap, came back in. And then first run in the car, first five laps, I go, I'd never driven the car before. It had just a basic setup that Ray Hall put on the car. And we'd been running for, you know, two and a half days already. Wow. And I did my first five laps and went three tenths quicker in my first five laps than I'd done in two and a half days. And then by the end of the day, we were, I believe, I think I was like 1.2 seconds quicker than we'd run in the Penske. So in my, in my mind, I was like, we're getting smoked by Zanardi <laughs> and all these guys that are running this Reynard and, and Firestones. Like in this, we were still on Goodyear's ah. and, you know, and the Firestones were even faster. So, you know, it came down to the end of the season. And, uh, I remember Roger had pulled me into the, uh, the transporter into his meeting, his office in the transporter. And, and he was there with the engineers and, and the team managers, and he said, okay, what, uh, what do you think we should do next year? I said, well, I mean, we should get, we should get a Reynard and our engine program. And we, I think we'd be pretty strong. And they're like, uh, everybody just kind of sat there. And, uh, and then Roger said to me, he said, okay, well, we're going to start testing in the next couple of weeks, get, get ready. And then about two weeks later, I got a phone call. This was after the season was over. I got a phone call my, my, from my manager, my manager said, Hey, I got a phone call from Roger. He wants us to come and meet him at a hotel in San Diego. Hmm. And, uh, can you get on in the next flight over here? 
and then my manager said, I don't like, I don't like how this sounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like, a little oh, ominous, doesn't it? Yeah. So I fly over there and we walked into this hotel room and there, there was no Roger. It was his, a couple of his lawyers oh, even worse. that were there and they, they handed me a piece of paper, a termination paper. And they said, Paul doesn't want to drive our, you know, 98 oh, chassis. What? And I think it's best. I think it's best that we, you know, he wants a Reynard. I think it's best that he goes finds a team with, with Reynard. Okay. Wait a minute. He asked your opinion. You gave it and that, that sunk you. Yep. What, what the hell? Well, I mean, uh, it is what, I mean, it is what it is. You yeah. know, that's, wow. they, they just basically said that I didn't want to drive the chassis. They were committed to their chassis, which was some new, they'd hired a new, uh, chassis designer. Uh, he built it. I don't know if you remember, but they built that high nose car, you know, with the kind of elevated nose, oh. it was a really beautiful, beautiful looking car. Very different. But, yeah. You know, yeah. But again, it, it went, it went two years with, with zero wins Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't until 99 uh, when they switched to a Reynard, they hired Gilles DeFerrin and Ca- Castro Neves, and they got Reynards and won the championship in that year. Mm. Wow. So well, it was a little bit of poetic justice for me, but I was fired over, over giving my opinion of saying, hey, I think we should go with a Reynard. Yeah. And then they ended, up going, they ended up going with a Reynard two years later. Well, I guess it's all guess and speculation at this point as to what the real background and all that was, but boy, that must have not felt good, so... Yikes. Well, let me ask you this. Let's get back to something more fun. What was your most memorable win? Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of great wins. Obviously, I think, I think winning in my hometown race in Toronto was obviously very big for me. Uh, that was always a big goal for me. Uh, but I, I would say probably my, my first win would have been, you know, Long Beach to win at Long Beach and, and uh, the circumstances it was under, I was in really, really hot water at that point because I'd crashed at Phoenix. I was leading the race at Phoenix in 93 with, by two laps. I'd lapped the field twice. Oh my gosh. And late in the race, I think there was 25, 30 laps to go. I was coming up on some lapped cars and dove in underneath of a car and then realized I wasn't going to, you know, the guy turned down to, for the corner. And I was, instead of just going through, I backed out of it and I lost the rear of the car and I crashed with, you know, yeah. late in the race, yeah. two lap lead. Ugh. So I was already like every, you know, I got back to the trailer and everybody, you know, I got the cold shoulder from everybody. And, and, and then I went from there, from Phoenix, I went to Los Angeles. Long Beach was the next race. And I went and stayed at a friend's house and, uh, we went out go-karting on, on the Tuesday before the Long Beach Grand Prix. We were just go out to the track and get, we got some shifter carts out and we went, went to a track out there in Riverside and, I ended up crashing with my with my friend oh, no. at the end of the straightaway and flipped the go kart end over end and I showed up at the track literally black and blue and Uh-oh. my hands were raw my knees and elbows were you know skinned through and yeah. you know I tore I t- tore myself up pretty bad in this go kart and uh, you know everybody said well what the, what hell? the hell happened what, what happened to you <laughs> right? yeah. and I said I fell off a mountain bike I was training on a mountain bike and going downhill and I. I crashed on the on the yeah. mountain bike and yeah so anyway long story short i i ended up winning the race and uh that was my first win and then uh after the race i'm back at the truck again and everybody's all happy and and roger congrats roger congratulates me and he says uh uh next time stay off those go-karts Ooh, he said ouch yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh my gosh well 
<laughs> we're going to take a short break. And then uh, when we come back, I want to talk about maybe one of your biggest challenges. I know in racing, there's lots of those. So keep that under your helmet. Be careful in those go-karts and we'll be right back. I've teamed up with AutoGeek because, well, they've been the leading source of auto detailing products, accessories for more than 20 years. Their Pinnacle Sovereign Paste Wax is specially formulated from Brazilian Carnuba Wax. It's easy to apply on any paint surface and provides that warm glow that we love, especially me on my vehicles. You're going to love it too. A favorite of car shows countrywide, Pinnacle Sovereign Paste Wax from AutoGeek wipes on easily, requires no drying time, is easy to remove, and provides up to 90 days of protection against damaging environmental contaminants. This wax is designed to exceed the standards of the most discriminating enthusiasts and collectors. Go to autogeek.net to get yours for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their very skilled technical support. Autogeek.net. That's where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So let's talk about this. Racing has lots of highs, lots of lows, as we've discussed. I want you to talk about one of your biggest challenges. Now, this could even be after racing, but the more important part of this question has to do with what valuable lesson did that situation teach you that you could take forward in a very positive way, kind of turning a negative into a positive. So take us on a little bit of a rough ride. Uh, I mean, obviously I've had a lot, you know, I've everything I've set out to try and win, I've, I've been able to win. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really dwell on, on negatives too much. Like if I have a bad race, you know, like I, I really just, I can put that past me pretty quickly and focus on the next race. But I, I, I guess probably the, the biggest negative of my career would probably be the O2 Indy 500 where, you know, I, I know that I passed Castro Neves before the yellow light came on. I've seen, I've seen the footage of still pictures of me ahead of him with the green light up Yeah, and politics came into play and, with the whole split between IndyCar and, and the IRL. So that's, that's one that, you know, I, I wouldn't say it bothers me to this day, but I, you know, when I go to Indianapolis, because I've been there for work for, you know, doing TV, you constantly get reminded of it from people. Yeah. People say to me, you won, you won the 500, you yeah. got screwed, yeah. you got jobs. And at that, that uh, you know, yeah, but it drums it up again every time. It just rehashes, rehashes bad stuff. It rehashes bad memories, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I, I loved uh, Ayrton Senna watching him race and listening to him. And, and on my business cards, my listeners know this, I have a quote from him that I think is a great thing to bring up with your conversation right now. And that is, 
the past is just data. I only see the future. And it's one of those great sayings that you put the past behind you. You take the learning lessons. That's why I have this question on my show. And that sounds like what you've tried to do with all of your situations, good and bad. It's data and you move forward. Is that a, a fair assessment to how you think about things? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really dwell on the on the negative things that have happened in my career. Obviously, I've had lots of highs, lots you know, lots of lows. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my career was you know very up and down. It was you know consistency was not really my forte. It was you know checkers or wreckers, you know, <laughs> up and down, up and down. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's part of who I am and and why fans either love me or hate me or so it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that was a tough one for sure. Remember that race. So I've heard from a little bird, his name's Derek Daly, Uh-oh. That, Uh-oh. You, that you have lots of toys. And I always ask my guests for a special vehicle story, one special vehicle that stands out. But in your case, since he mentioned lots of toys, can you maybe briefly touch on a few of uh, some of the toys these days that are maybe in your garage? Uh, I mean, I've had everything, and you know. But here, here's the thing: I've had all of these toys, and nothing replaces any any of the adrenaline that I actually get from from driving an actual race car and being in a race. I've had, yeah. I've had the best of the best sports cars: Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Porsches, uh, fast boats, motorcycles. You name it, and I don't get the uh i don't get the adrenaline or the rush that i get from actually being in a race car and i i really didn't realize how much that i missed racing until i got back to racing this last summer in the srx series with tony stewart they they asked me to come and run in the series and i haven't rate i hadn't raced really anything in since dan weldon's death like i didn't i haven't been yeah. to an indoor go-kart track i hadn't done anything yeah uh reluctantly because I still wanted to do it, but I just, as time went on and, you know, like I said, the first couple years, it was very difficult on me because when you do something from when you're five years old, you start go-kart racing. And then all of a sudden you've been doing this for, you know, 30, 35 years of your life. And then on one day, it's done. You turn, you, you have to turn the switch off. I didn't want to do that. You know, I, I probably should have went, into sports car racing or looked at doing something else. But I reluctantly said, I'm, I, I, I'm going to quit. And even, even though I didn't want to quit. So I, you know, as time went on, I was a bear to be around for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as I got it transitioned into the TV role and I was back at the racetrack and talking to other race drivers and talking to my old crew guys, and seeing my fans and all that kind of went away. And I, uh, I enjoyed being, a, being around the racetrack again. Yeah. And then uh, I got back to, to racing this last summer in the SRX series, and I didn't realize how much I'd actually missed driving and racing until uh, I got back in the race car. So that begs the question, why are you the villain in SRX? Uh, because they need a villain. This is, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, this just, is a TV. Just like they did know, in racing. racing. <laughs> yeah. It's a, ra- it's a racing series. Uh, but it's also a TV show and it's entertainment. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. uh, there's a champion at the end of the day, but, uh, I've, I've realized, uh, that people want good guys and bad guys. Of course. And, uh, Human Tony nature. Stewart was the good, Tony Stewart was the good guy in the race, in the series. 
Uh, and he's been a bad guy for m- most of his NASCAR career. He's had, he's had a lot of run-ins and dust-ups with people. Sure. Uh, he want he wanted to be the good guy, and, and they said, "You are, are you all right being the bad guy?" And I said, "No problem with me. <laughs> I'll fill that spot." Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So they 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 realized that that I get I get what they're trying to do. Uh, you know, and at the end of the day, people were saying, saying, well, this is, is this real racing or are you guys just out there goofing around? I, it, when we're actually on the track, we're racing for real. Yeah. There you now, go. every time I'm beside you, I'm going to door, door bang you, or I'm going to bump you in the bumper, but we're ra- we're racing for real, you know? Looks like fun. Everybody loves a villain. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it is fun. I, I really, I really enjoyed it because I, I've never really done a lot of. I mean, I did some stock car racing on bigger tracks, on yeah. like Texas and Daytona, but I'd never been on a short track before, and um, I learned a lot about driving stock cars on short tracks. But I really didn't realize how smooth uh, guys like Tony Stewart and Bobby Labonte and even Bill Elliott. I mean. I didn't realize how you know smooth you needed to be and how just like easy on the car to go fast. The harder you try on a short short track on a stock car, the slower you go. And you know people they tell you that all the time. But I, I literally went out the first time we went to Stafford first race, and I'm watching and you know seeing where everybody's lifting off. And I said, okay, I'm going to lift off really early, and I'm going to go into the corner. And I'm, you only, we only got five laps. When you go to an SRX race, you get five laps of practice, and then that's it. That's you go racing it? after that. Wow. Yeah, that's all you get. So I go out, and I do my five laps, and I'm, I think I'm lifting way early. And, uh, you know, I'm locked up a little bit. I'm locking the inside front, getting into the corner, and it pushes a little bit through the middle. And then I get back on the power, and it's sliding and steps out a little bit on the exit. And I do a pretty pretty good lap time. I, I think I'm... I think I'm flying. Like it feels like I was pretty fast lap. Yeah. Right. So I get out of the car and then Bill Elliott jumps in the car in the same car. And I watch him go out and do his five laps and I'm watching him go around and he looks like he's parked <laughs> and I'm like, God, he looks slow. And I got, I got my phone out. I got my stopwatch and I click the stopwatch and he's like half a second quicker than me. Ooh, I'm like, smooth is wow. fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I learned, uh, I had to really unlearn everything that you would do in an open wheel car, uh, to go fast on a, on a short track. Mm. So I understand the challenges now very much that Jimmy Johnson is having to go through because he has had to drive under drive a race car for his whole career to be able to get it to go fast and win races. And when you get into an Indy car, you have to push 12 tenths all the time. The car is better than you are and you have to push the car to the limit to get to get the lap time so it's completely a different driving style yeah. you know so wow. for him to try to try to make this transition 46 years old is not it's not an easy transition no you gotta unlearn all that muscle memory and that's hard to do so you've taken me some interesting places today i'm going to be your car psychologist here paul so sit back on the couch and think about this question guessing nobody's ever asked you this. I hope not. If you were manifest as a vehicle, could be a streetcar, race car, whatever, could be a motorcycle, mountain bike, doesn't matter. What would you be and why? But the real test of this question is, it's how you perceive the man in the mirror yourself. So it's not what you want to be. It's how you perceive who you really are. Well, I mean, the car would have to be fast. Okay. So it would have, it would have to be a sports car, but not a sports car in this 
day and age where it's all electronics and paddle shifting. I'd want the car to be a little bit old, a little bit rugged, rough around the edges, tricky to drive, dangerous, you know, on the edge car that if you go do go a little bit too too far, you, you're going to pay for it. Okay. Type of a car. So yeah. I like the uh, you know I like the old the old style of old style of supercars like like to me an F uh, Ferrari F40 is yeah. is like. It's the ultimate machine, right? Because it's, you know, it's a little bit, it's uh, obviously it's a supercar, but it's a stick shift and it's, it's tricky to drive and it's got big giant turbos on it with turbo lag. And, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a beast of a car. I guess, I guess, I guess it would be, I would be like, like a beast. I like that. Nicely said. Yeah. The wonderful F40. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Some of the last of the analog sports cars that are just killer. I love it. Hey, what about a great book? Have you read a great book lately you'd like to share with the listeners? Uh, you know what? I've just actually started uh, digging into the Al Jr. book because I've had so many people call me and tell me that I've read the book, uh, that, it, that it's absolutely fantastic. And I actually heard you know, Derek say on your podcast, uh, you said uh, Townsend Bell has read it. You know, a bunch of people have yeah. told me little pieces, pieces about it. I'm, I guess I'm talked about in it, about it, in it a little bit, yeah. so... Uh, I've just actually gotten the book and I'm going to dig into that. I'm not a big book reader. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer to listen. So I listen to a lot of, a lot of podcasts and li- you know, listen to a lot of things when I'm driving or going, go, just doing my daily stuff around, around town. I just, just throw a podcast on the radio yeah, so and, makes them great. and listen, listen to things and try to learn things, you know? Yeah. You know, I had uh, the author of that book, Jade Gers on the show uh, late last year and it was really fascinating talking with him because it's not a tell-all he he connected with little al and little al opened the kimono and really bared it all and it's a wonderful book and it's a really i think it's important walk through somebody's life that's very famous that people see only the outside of and we got to see the inside and just the the challenge and and tragedy but the the fact that little al's really kind of figured it out now come back around and picked himself up. Yeah, and the, the fascinating, fascinating thing for me is we were teammates during that that time period uh. when he was partying pretty hard, and uh, you know I was pretty young at that time and pretty square, and I didn't really know all that much, so I didn't really pay. You know, I was very focused on myself and didn't really pay a lot of attention to what was was going on. But you know, with him, but uh, obviously there was you know a few times where we'd be testing and and Al would not show up to test and they'd say, Oh, he's not feeling good today. Yeah. You know? So that, ha- that happened, you know, you know, a few times while we were teammates. So I, I didn't really think anything of it. I would have never thought in a million years, uh, the, you know, the stuff that he said was going on in his life, which is pretty incredible of, of just how competitive he was and how much of a great race day driver that he was. He was not a fantastic qualifier, but I mean, it didn't matter if he qualified dead last. Yeah. You knew, he was going to be a factor in, in, in any race situation. Yeah. It's a great book. You're really going to like it. Uh, really, really in-depth stuff. So my hat's off to him for getting together with Jade uh, to share his life that way. Well, I need I to need get with, with this, Jade, because I've heard that he writes great books. And I, everybody's been saying to me, when are you going to come out with a book? Okay. You know? I'll make an introduction. I got, I, got a, I, got a, I got a lot of stories. I, I'm Yeah, no kidding. Well, I will make an introduction. Maybe we can see one of those one of these days. So before I let you go today, Paul, it's been a fascinating talk with you, and I really appreciate your time. I want to take you on the ultimate drive. I'm going to be like the ultimate benefactor. Unlimited budget here. You can pick any vehicle. 
You can pick any person to be with, living or deceased, and you could be driving anywhere. Now, in your case, this could be a racetrack or could just be a great drive in some part of the world. What does the ultimate drive look like for Paul Tracy? Uh, well, obviously, I would like to drive that beast of a car that I that I okay that the F forty. But I, I guess I guess if the if the the person that I would want to drive with is actually uh, my girlfriend now. I mean, you know, I talked at the beginning of our our podcast here about how my ex wife had left me, and that really put me in a bad spot for for quite a while because I was very disappointed in how that all yeah. unfolded. But it's all kind of worked out for the best because I've met a gal that is uh is so great to me and i've never i've never had a relationship with a girl that we just when we go on drives and go places we just sit and talk and we just talk about the the any there's no topic that we that we we don't talk about so nice. we've had some super deep conversations and i've never had a relationship with a woman like that so it's it's you know it's taken me 50 plus years to get there which so if i was going to go on a drive with anybody uh, she's my driving partner. You'd be with Lisa. And, yeah. and where would you be going? Like, is there a place in the world you'd love to go for a drive? Uh, you know what? I'd like to, she's always wanted to go to Italy and, uh, you know, so she's wanted to, to see Rome, but you, I want to take her to, to Europe, but with all this COVID stuff now and the traveling and all that. So we're just waiting. We're waiting for that all that stuff and travel restrictions to, yeah. to settle all of down. Us, and then we're going to do are. some European, European vacations. But right now it's just such a pain in the neck to try I, to I go to different countries. Well, maybe you follow the Omelia track, uh, do that big loop. That would be kind of fun. Or I would recommend where I've, I've had the joy of driving is up in Northern Italy around Lake Lugano and some of those areas there. Yeah. Oh, just stunning drives. Beautiful. Stay off the freeways. And, uh, if you're in an F40 in Italy, you're going to be a superstar to everybody that you pass. Exactly. So that's going to be fun. Well, you've taken us on an awesome ride here, and I can't thank you enough for spending time today. Before I let you go, could you share maybe some words of inspiration, a success quote, or something that comes to your mind that might inspire others that you've learned after all these years in a very inspiring career that you've had? Well, I am, you know, it's a kind of cliche, but I mean, I, I, don't I never give up till the checkered flag comes out? Yeah, you know, like I've had plenty, plenty of races in my career, and actually, my last, my last win of my career was in 07 in Cleveland, and I had gotten into a crash early with Graham Rahal. I ran into the back of him, and I knocked my front wing off. Uh, had to come in, get another front wing, got a drive-through penalty for having contact with him, then hit somebody else again Oh gosh! later on in the race, knocked the front wing off again, had to come in, get another wing, and ended up winning the race in the end. <laughs> How'd you pull that so off? I, Holy cow. I just, I just <laughs> team came on the radio and said, hey, we've got a long way to go. Just, you know, yeah. keep digging. And, and I just drove, put my head down and yeah, drove. just kept driving and drove, drove as fast as I could. And you know, the way everything cycled out with pit stops and everything, I ended up at the, in the lead with 10 laps to go and, and uh, ended up winning the race. And that was my last win. I had two, two, two crashes. And, you know, I see a lot of young drivers, you know, now and, you know, try to talk to young drivers and just tell them, look, the race isn't over till the checkered flag comes out. Exactly. So a lot of people, a lot of young drivers now, if they're, you know, have some something goes wrong in the race, a bad pit stop or a penalty or something. They just kind of, you know, I see young guys just kind of give up and throw in the towel and just cruise around. Yeah. I was never, uh, never one to do that. I went as fast as I could possibly go until the checkered flag came out. 
Excellent. Good advice for anybody in any capacity of life. Never, ever give up. What's the best way for people to follow you these days? Would it be your Instagram? Yeah, that's really all I have right now. I don't have Twitter anymore, and I don't uh, my Facebook. Uh, I got a new phone recently because I lost my phone in the sand dunes, and oh. and for whatever reason, I can't get logged onto Facebook. It's asking me for some verification, and I'm not that computer savvy, so I just kind of have not bothered logging onto it. So uh, Twitter or uh, Instagram is the way to follow me, and that's Paul Tracy official. There you go. I'll make sure to put a link to that on Paul's show notes page. You can find that on the Cars Yeah website. And I want to do a shout out to our mutual friend, Derek Daly, for introducing me to Paul and getting him on the show. He gave me some clues as to what to talk to you about today. So thank you, Derek, for the inside corner uh, with Paul Tracy today. Paul, thanks for being so generous and, and so open with your life. And it seems like you've kind of calmed down a little bit. You seem like you'd be very comfortable in your life right now. And I, I'm really happy to hear that. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Yep. Thank you. If you're listening to this program, there's a pretty good chance you believe what I believe, that the collector vehicles we love are more than just a means of getting from one place to the other. They're a part of our culture, our identity, and as a people, they bring us together at vintage races, classic car auctions, and thousand-mile rallies. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these important vehicles aren't lost to time. RPM stands for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship. And their goal is to inspire the next generation of vehicle restoration professionals through its outreach programs. And they include Shop Hop, Off to the Races, the RPM Future Class, and many others. These programs engage talented young people across the country and connect them with mentors and a variety of opportunities in the industry. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of collector vehicles skill trade, visit rpm.foundation today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!